Hello, and welcome to the Fit Cookie Nutrition Podcast. My name is Holly Samuel, and I am a registered dietitian and certified personal trainer. And my goal with this podcast is to empower you with nutrition and exercise knowledge from various health and wellness experts and everyday runners to become the best, strongest, fastest, fit cookie version of yourself that you can be. Are you ready? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, everybody. So I hope that you listened to part one of the topic hypothalamic amenorrhea, because today on this episode, we're bringing you part two. So I had gotten into recording part one by myself, and I realized that this was just such a dense, (laughs) deep topic with so many different little caveats to dive into. And one of the big ones that I see a lot in my practice with clients, and also just in general in the running community, especially with endurance athletes, is how hypothalamic amenorrhea can affect gut health. I know that with a lot of my clients, past, present, and future, they've experienced, you know, about of hypothalamic amenorrhea and period loss and various gut health symptoms that go with that, which can really complicate the process, especially because, let's face it, whenever our gut is bothering us, it tends to derail our day. You know, if you're missing a period and you're feeling low energy or you're feeling some of those other symptoms I talked about in part one, you know, you might not think about it as much as if your stomach's really bothering you or you're having a lot of indigestion or, you know, diarrhea, constipation, and these things can really impact us on a profound level, which is why I'm super excited to bring in my colleague, Erin Kenny, who is a registered dietitian, master of nutrition, and holistic cannabis practitioner over at her practice, Nutrition Rewired, to help me dissect this topic. Erin is just the gut health guru of all things, (laughs) and she's a fabulous resource, and I'm so lucky to call her my friend and colleague. I actually did an episode on her podcast on gut health and runners a little while ago. So make sure you go check out her podcast as well, which is just Nutrition Rewired Podcast, which is available on all of the same hosting sites that this podcast is if you want to learn more about that topic. But today we're going to really be diving into hypothalamic amenorrhea and gut health and what to do about it, what symptoms or signs that, you know, can come up when this is occurring and a couple different avenues to take. And I really hope you enjoy this episode with Erin Kenny. Hi, Erin. Welcome to the Fit Cookie Nutrition Podcast. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you for having me, Holly. It's my pleasure. 
Yes, I am just really pumped to have you here to help me tackle this topic. Um, I went through an entire episode by myself on hypothalamic amenorrhea, giving our listeners a little bit of a rundown on some background with it. But then as I kept talking, I kept realizing how deep of a topic it was and that it would be super helpful to have someone like you come help me tackle it. So today we're going to talk a little bit more about hypothalamic amenorrhea um, and like kind of how it can be combined with and influenced with gut health. Um, so before we get into that, I want you to give a little background on yourself so you can tell us who you are, what you do, and where you're from. Absolutely. Can we agree to call it HA instead of having to say out hypothalamic amenorrhea? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to refer to it as HA from now on when I talk about it. But um, as Holly said, my name is Aaron Kenny, and I am a registered dietitian, a holistic cannabis practitioner, and I am the founder of Nutrition Rewired, which is a Boston-based uh, private practice where I provide in-person as well as nutrition counseling, where I do meal planning with clients and just coaching individuals to help them achieve optimal physical, mental, and, um, you know, spiritual well-being. And I specifically focus on um, gut health in sports nutrition, providing personal approaches. And as Holly said, you know, there is a strong link between um, HA and digestive issues, um, you know, both because people experience HA, they might have digestive issues and then also um, vice versa. So I'm actually really excited to talk about this. Yeah, absolutely. And you are like the gut health guru when it comes to all of this. So I'm excited to have your insight on this. Um, and before we kind of dive into HA, which I'm excited that we're calling it that because that's a mouthful. Um, can you kind of describe a little bit more like your specific, like personal background with your own gut health and your running as well? Because I know, I know there's a deeper story there, but just to give a little bit of a rundown for our listeners. Sure, absolutely. So I grew up an athlete, played soccer and basketball. I honestly, basketball, I would say is probably my favorite sport to play, probably for the fact that it's more um, fast paced and you get the contact side of things. And um, but so I grew up a full time athlete. And um, as soon as I decided to go to college, I knew that I didn't want to pursue, um, you know, sports, including basketball and soccer as a full-time career. And so I was transitioning into this place where I, you know, wanted to stay physically fit. It was a huge part of my routine growing up and I knew how to run, you know, generally speaking. And I decided to pick up running and I am, I went to school in New Hampshire, which is where Holly's from. And it was a beautiful campus. So I really fell in love with it because it was a really great outlet for me for my mental health. And, um, you know, my story starts off being really beautiful where it was a great tool for me. I was, you know, in shape and um, really loved the benefits of it. But I did get to a point where it become became an unhealthy habit. And I was using it for, you know, my anxiety. There was a big transition phase for me in college where some people will say, you know, college was the happiest years of their lives. I personally was really struggling with my mental health and, you know, turned to running in an unhealthy way, which then led to multiple injuries. I spent a lot of time in physical therapy 
And, um, you know, years later after working on improving my gut health and all the things that went along with overtraining and under fueling, um, I now love running again, <laughs> but I did have a few years there where my relationship with running was uh, a very complex one and I had lost the joy um, of running, which I am so glad that I have found it again because it can be a great thing when used appropriately. So that's kind of just a short little snippet of my journey. Yeah, thank you for telling us that. And like, like you said, running is one of those sports and any sport I think is like this, but like you, for you to love it and for it to love you back, like sometimes are two different things and like to have them happen together is just, is awesome. And I know, you know, I have a pretty similar story in terms of like just the, the structure of how my running has gone, you know, it's been positive and then there's been times where it's more negative and then positive again. And I think a lot of people can relate to that, um, which is why I'm excited to dive into this topic. So actually on that note, you mentioned, you know, running kind of became a little bit more of a, of a crutch for you and, and, you know, in terms of your mental health ended up involving a lot more negative mental health impacts, like in injuries and gut health issues. So just to kind of go into our first part of HA and how running um, can affect that. So in what ways does running affect gut health? So, you know, there's kind of probably some positive. So let's start there before we go into the negatives. Yes. I always like to start with the positives. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we know from research that, um, you know, physical activity in general, you know, especially exercise that, you know, releases endorphins has a very positive impact on the composition of our gut microbiome. And, you know, the gut microbiome is a hot topic right now for very good reason. We know that it's linked to, you know, pretty much every aspect of our health. And so one of the many positives of physical activity is that it can shift the bacteria in our gut towards a more positive environment. Um, you know, when done in the right amounts and with the proper fueling, it can be an incredible benefit. Now, also tapping into the, the mental health benefits, we know that our brain and our gut are directly connected. So if you're, you know, using exercise and running to relieve stress, then that's also going to help with reducing inflammation and improving overall inflammation and, you know, the gut and, and really promoting a positive experience for our gut bacteria. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know with some of my clients too, like a lot of them will describe like, oh, if I run or if I do X, you know, workout in the morning, like then I'm more regular, you know, I experience better regularity. It gets things moving. You know, I think, you know, you could probably speak to this too, just from personal experience, but sometimes if you like are heading to a race or something and you're anticipating a performance happening, whether it's on the basketball court or on the roads, you're like, all right, let's get things moving. And, you know, it can kind of help make that more of a routine. I think bodies like consistent routines a lot. Um, but I know there's so much, you know, depth to like how it can like alter our gut microbiome, you know, like certain bacteria in there can, you know, lead to us having better mental health, better like genetic expression. And that's just like such a deep topic. So, you know, I think in terms of exercise, a lot of it is positive. We're not saying, hey, stop exercising at all in this podcast, but um, there are definitely some considerations um, and consequences to when it becomes exercising too much that, um, you know, 
is relative to the person. You know, everybody can exercise and handle a different amount of exercise, but also exercising without the proper fuel, like you said. Um, so on that note too, you know, let's dive into some of the more like consequential things um, mm -hmm. that running can have on gut health and how HA fits into all of this. So from our first episode, we dove into three mis common misconceptions about HA and also some strategies to take to start helping with that. And I didn't really dive too deep into the gut health aspect. So to give some background first, like describe a few things that can happen once we're experiencing like overtraining and underfueling um, and HA in terms of GI distress symptoms, when this can happen around that. Mm. Yeah, I think one thing to, to, to just create a an awareness around which Holly just stated, which is the obvious that, you know, when you're running, you're, you're moving things along when you jump up and down, or, you know, if you think about shaking, shaking a cup with water and it, the water starts to move up and down as you're going. And you can think of that scenario happening in your gut when you're running. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in terms of proper fueling, you know, and, and gut health and stuff like that, it's important that, um, you know, we're, we're meeting number one is our energy needs. Um, that's incredibly important to fuel the actual performance, but a lot of the common issues now you, you, the question that you asked was kind of, what are some of the ways that, um, gut health issues show up with underfueling? Is that right? Right. Yeah. Like how does it show up? Because, you know, I think we're kind of, we've developed the background to the point where we have HA. So mm -hmm. like what gut symptoms, you know, yeah. could be present because of that. So there are the more obvious ones that people will oftentimes, you know, come to me saying I've got gas, bloating, distension, constipation, and usually those things are pretty obviously impacting their performance, whether it's having to run to the bathroom mid run or, um, you know, just feeling like very heavy during the run. Um, and, you know, most people aren't aware of what healthy bowel movements should even look like. I could talk about that all day too, but, um, then food sensitivities, um, you know, if you're under fueling or you have HA, which usually go hand in hand, um, you'll, you'll hear people, you know, people will come to me and say, okay, I've, I feel like I can't eat eggs anymore. I feel like, you know, gluten's upsetting me. I feel like I can't eat, um, you know, grains or things like that. That's a big, you know, sign of some sort of gut issue because when we have any sort of inflammation going on in the gut, then that is what creates what we call um, intestinal hyperpermeability. And it sounds fancy, but what it really means for those who are listening is, you know, you've got your digestive tract and then you've got these cells lining your digestive tract. And so when things become very inflamed, these, these junctions along the edges of your GI tract become loose and things that shouldn't be crossing through the GI tract into the blood actually do cross through, and that causes your body to react. So you can kind of think of it like, you know, having an open wound on your skin. There's going to be things that, that can get into that wound when you have an, an opening there. And so um, that's going to cause your body to react to certain foods that might not be happening. You might not be reacting to those foods if your gut health is healthy. Um, low appetite can be a very common one that you have some sort of stress going on in your gut. Um, you know, skin issues. A lot of people don't think about having skin issues like acne and psoriasis and eczema. 
um, things like that. But, but it's people, we want to think more outside of than just the obvious symptoms of gas bloating and, you know, diarrhea, things like that. Yeah. And I like that you touched upon like the obvious, because I'm sure you hear about this all the time in your practice since you specialize in gut health, but you know, a lot of the times, some of those other symptoms that we think have nothing to do with our gut have everything to do with our gut, um, like the acne, some of the hormonal imbalances. And I love that you kind of take a root cause approach um, to figuring out, you know, what we can do to help improve gut health. And kind of all of these other things are just going to have, they're going to be, you know, a, a side effect, essentially, of having negative or positive gut health. Um, so like at what point, you know, would these symptoms be coming up in a runner experiencing HA in your experience? Like, would it be, you know, after you've started missing periods, could it be happening before, or could it be like years after you've even maybe tried to get your period back? Like, what do you see in terms of like the timeline of it? Yeah. I mean, you know, HA is typically accompanied by, um, you know, either some sort of physiological stress um, underfueling, overtraining. So you don't have to have a missing period um, or irregular menstrual cycle to experience these issues. So, you know, someone might still have, um, you know, a regular period. They might still be bleeding every month. Um, however, they might, you know, have PMS symptoms like the acne or cravings and things like that. And, um, and even, like I said, just under fueling, that's going to result in, you know, you might have some sort of thyroid issues showing up, like maybe low T3 because you're not eating enough carbohydrates. So it can really occur in any stage of, of either the progression to, you know, having HA or, um, you know, during and even after because, you know, afterwards, after maybe you recover and you restore your period, um, you know, all of my clients who have restored their periods see that, that once they do, their gut issues are significantly better. But it can take time. And, um, you know, a lot of that is because your gut is a tissue. Um, it takes time to repair. Um, and, and a lot of it, too, is um, getting your hormones balanced again. So once you're balancing your hormones coming out of a state of energy deficiency or overtraining, um, you know, we can have these swings in, you know, metabolism and, you know, hormones like leptin. And so it can take some time, um, which is very individualized for each person to come back um, and find some normalization in digestive symptoms or those other symptoms that we, you know, um, discussed earlier in terms of seeing full recovery. And also, you know, the mental side of things, because, you know, there's often, you know, some sort of issue underlying there and, and dealing with and working through those emotional issues can also take some time. Even once your, your body is feeling safe and your gut is feeling safe, it, it can take some time to get uh, to a, a better place mentally as well. I love that. And I love that you talked about the time that it can take. Like, even if on paper, you know, your period's coming more regularly, maybe you've implemented some things to help, which we'll talk about in a, in a bit. But 
um, you know, you can still be experiencing symptoms. And I know for a lot of people that can be really discouraging and make you like second guess everything you're doing. Right. So like if you had to put, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but well, you, you know, you're pretty good, but you don't have a crystal ball. But if you had to put like a timeline on like, you know, what it takes to kind of help improve your gut symptoms, especially if we're talking about someone who's had a really long period of time with HA where they've really, you know, kind of dug themselves into a deep hole and are trying to come back out on the other side. Like, are you talking like, you know, a two week like elimination diet and you'll be great. You talking like, you know, a couple months. Are you talking years and years? I'm talking if you're if your thyroid's normal, if you know, your, all your thyroid levels come back normal, if your period is restored and you've gone, I would give it at least two to three months of I, I, three months is usually my gold standard. You have three months, you've had a normal cycle. You don't have, you know, these crazy PMS symptoms. Um, like I said, everything else is normal. Your nutrient levels are, are replete and everything else, you know, clinically is good you should see benefits right away. And that doesn't, you know, it might not require any sort of, you know, elimination diet, you know, elimination diets in this case would be used just to reduce inflammation. And, and again, we're going to seal up, think about that gut. We're going to seal up the gut. We're going to kind of put some, um, you know, some cement in there, if you will, um, to kind of heal what's going on in the gut. And then as soon as that happens, you know, we can introduce all the foods back in, we can resume training in a, an appropriate way. As, and as long as we're properly fueling, then, you know, your gut is, is a pretty smart tissue in, in including your body in general. And so you can see resolve from this in as short as, you know, two to three months. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I like that you keep addressing too, like the gut is a tissue, like it, you know, it, it kind of functions like all the other tissues in your body. It's, I think a lot of us think it's some like vague, like weird black hole that we just like put things into. And like, we know that there's bacteria in there, but, and we know that they're good for us, but you know, it can get kind of uh, confusing. It can get confusing when you're looking at the research too, but it is a tissue and it functions like one. So if it's injured, essentially, you know, we have to heal it, you know, it might have to wear a cast, so to speak for a couple of weeks and then, you know, we can use it again, um, in a strategic way. So, um, if our listeners are experiencing any of those GI symptoms or any of the other symptoms too, that we talked about, like acne, PMS, um, you know, kind of some of those hormonal symptoms, what are a few key things that they should do to start making progress? So, you know, I kind of put in like, should they do just an elimination diet for two weeks and then all their problems will be fixed? Like where's a good starting point and what do you usually do with your clients? Mm. So the first thing, and this is because this has become much more common, I'm seeing this a lot more in my practice, is to address any sort of dysbiosis. Mm -hmm. And for the listeners, what that means is, you know, there is an imbalance in bacteria in the gut. So we normally have what we call good, bad, and neutral bacteria. And they're they're really all supposed to be there because they all serve a purpose. But what happens is, is when things become imbalance is when we start to have, you know, potential for bacterial overgrowth in our small intestine, which in that case would need and require a, a specific intervention to eradicate and get rid of that bacteria. So addressing any underlying dysbiosis or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or true clinical issues would be number one. 
Now, if we don't have anything going on there, then the first thing would be to make sure that you are eating enough, which sounds very obvious, but um, again, the gut is a tissue. So you can think of your, your gut like a bicep. If you go to work your bicep and you don't have enough energy in there, it's going to break down that bicep and it's not going to repair itself, meaning you're not going to be able to flex and, you know, show off your guns. So <laughs> make sure that you're eating enough, um, especially carbohydrates. Um, again, those are going to help rebuild that tissue, but it's also really important for your thyroid function and your gut is producing, you know, certain hormones all the time, you know, melatonin, serotonin, um, and as well as the conversion of thyroid hormones. So if your carbohydrates are too low, which is very common, especially among um, athletes, then the production of T3 is going to be impaired. That's going to slow your gut down. You're going to experience constipation, what have you. So make sure you're eating enough carbohydrates. Um, I think those are those would really be my my two biggest things is uh, making sure you're addressing any sort of dysbiosis and make sure that you're eating enough of the right things and balancing the the bacteria in your gut. Yeah, and those you know kind of are really good places to start and like to individualize it more. Like you know when you were saying address any dysbiosis that's there. You know if there's small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or SIBO, as a lot of people might have heard of it. Um, you know doing specific things to work through that. Like at what point could someone say, okay, like I've tried some of that, or I've tried to improve just like the mindfulness around eating meals. You know, I'm, I'm not rushing through all my meals. I'm chewing my food. I'm putting some effort into this, you know, and it's still persisting. I'm still having issues with digestion, or I feel like I have food intolerances. Like what would you say would be some red flags to look for if someone's thinking that? Yeah, I think, you know, in this case, I would say working with a professional is really going to be your best bet because, um, you know, it's really important that you're, 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 work, you're having an outside perspective of someone who has real knowledge in this area because otherwise you're likely just going to be treating symptoms. So, you know, okay, I'm constipated or I'm having diarrhea and, you know, we're not looking at the bigger picture oftentimes. And even myself, you know, I would hire out for any sort of issue that I'm having because I know that my lens is much too narrow to focus in on and see the big picture. So like you mentioned, even the mindful eating stuff, but, but there's so many other things like we mentioned the thyroid and nutrient deficiencies and all that, that really all play a role into our gut health. Um, you know, you need someone who's going to be able to create a plan that's oftentimes, you know, clients will say, well, you know, I tried a probiotic or I tried an elimination diet. And um, those just aren't really appropriate if they're not in the right context. So for instance, um, if you have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, just taking an over-the-counter, you know, probiotic could make your symptoms worse. And then, you know, you say, okay, well, screw that. That didn't work for me. Whereas, you know, if you had SIBO, you implement an antimicrobial where, you know, maybe we do rifaximin as an antibiotic or we do oil of oregano and go the herbal route. Then we add in the probiotics and then we, you know, maybe try an elimination diet with a reintroduction. So the sequence of all of the steps that you take will determine your success and it requires knowledge, patience, and planning. 
Knowledge, patience, and planning. I like that trio. Um, I think a lot of the times we're lacking in the patience department or just a good place to start um, kind of department. So, you know, if someone like you mentioned, you know, has SIBO and they go to the store and they buy a probiotic and it makes the symptoms worse, like um, what other like examples could you give where someone might need to, you know, kind of do something more specific, like, you know, certain gut conditions that maybe are misdiagnosed or, you know, when would it be more of a red flag if there is a true food intolerance that's there? Yeah. I mean, if you're having like a food allergy reaction where your throat is closing up or you are developing, um, you know, like dizziness or numbness in your limbs, things like that, where it's, it's impacting your nervous system, um, you, you should go see an allergist first and foremost, because food allergy testing um, is, is a certain type of antibody testing, whereas, I mean, a certain type of allergy testing, whereas um, food sensitivity testing is not, not a great measure and it's not addressing the root cause. There's no science to back it up. So you really want to, you, you know, go meet if you're having, you know, for instance, black colored stools or blood in your stools or um, you know, you're severely dehydrated and you're dizzy and, and feeling fatigued all the time. And, um, you know, your, your heart rate is becoming to a point where it's concerning, then, then you should go seek medical, um, attention. Absolutely. You know, get, get replenished, whether it's electrolytes, have a GI workup where they're going to be doing a colonoscopy. Um, you know, it's, it's more often than not that people will go to a col- uh, go to a GI specialist and they'll do the full workup and they'll say, well, you know, there's nothing there. And that's when they usually come to me and say, well, my doctor says everything's fine. So if everything's fine there, which it's important to look at, you know, if you did have some sort of, um, you know, something truly going on in your gut that was maybe like a hiatal hernia or um, like we mentioned, a a bacterial overgrowth or um, some sort of parasitic infection, things like that are, they need clinical attention that you're going to need to to go in for. So, um, you know, it's after that that I would say when they say everything looks good from that standpoint that you would go meet with a, a dietitian and, and get that looked at from a dietary perspective. Yeah, and I, I love I love that because it is important, you know, if you're really worried to rule out some of those things and getting that kind of clean bill of their symptoms, but we don't know what's wrong with you, you know, having sometimes the knowing what isn't the problem can be helpful because then we can identify, you know, where to start um, and what's safe to do um, in practice as dietitians. And, you know, some of the things too, you know, a lot of the times elimination diets, because you got like a food sensitivity test done, you know, may not be appropriate. So I think you mentioned um, a couple topics ago when people come to you and they have trouble digesting like gluten or they have trouble with eggs or they have trouble with various um, proteins, you know, what is your experience with like food sensitivity testing and someone also coming to you and saying, I have sensitivities to like 25 different foods. What do I do? (laughs) Why are, why are you finding those testings to be problematic? So I think first and foremost, to understand why things are being flagged on a food sensitivity test is important. Um, and I like to explain this using like an example of someone showing up at your front door. 
Um, you know, and this, you know, this could also have nuances to it, but just bear with me. Um, you know, so somebody shows up to your door and, you know, maybe you're not super excited that they're there or whatever, but you're going to open the door, right? You're going to go acknowledge that they're there. Maybe, um, maybe have your kid go deal with it and be like, oh, mom's not home, whatever, but you're acknowledging that they're there. And so it's similar with the body with food sensitivities. So, um, you know, your body is going to acknowledge that a food is there, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. So just because you're having a reaction to a food doesn't necessarily mean that it's causing inflammation in the body. So yes, it's measuring the acknowledgement of a food in the body that you're eating and digesting, which is often why you'll find when you do a food sensitivity test, it comes back as flagging the foods that you eat a lot of coincidence. I think so. And then what happens is, is people start to cut these foods out and they say, well, it's causing inflammation. I'm reacting to them. Meanwhile, the foods on this list they'll eat and they don't even, they don't feel bad, but then they'll say, well, I eat dairy and I know I feel bad, but that didn't come up on my food sensitivity test. But still it's, it's this idea that these tests are superior. So then they'll go follow a restrictive diet. They'll cut out salmon and they'll cut out egg whites and they'll cut out gluten and what happens is is we're now fueling the fire for um, inflammation in the body because now we're under fueling and to couple that we're now creating an unhealthy relationship with these foods where we're afraid to eat these foods because we're under the impression that our body is negative reacting to them negatively reacting to them so it's really um, this cascade of events where we don't often ever see benefits coming out of reducing these foods. What I personally believe benefits is that when people do these tests, they start to pay more attention to what they're eating. They try to be mindful, they're exercising, and that's why people might see the benefits. But there is no evidence to suggest that food sensitivity testing is going to make your gut feel any better or you as a person or reduce inflammation. Um, an elimination diet is the gold standard and to listen to your body and what symptoms you're having. I love that summary and I love the door metaphor. That's really helpful. And like in terms of those sensitivity tests, you know, part of what I find troubling with them, which you touched on too, is if you're taking one, you're likely inflamed because otherwise you wouldn't care what foods you're sensitive to. And if you're inflamed, this thing is going to come back with a lot more markers on it because you're inflamed. And it's not necessarily because of any of the foods it flags because it's just acknowledging that they're there. Um, and a lot of the times it's not, you know, giving you much insight to what the root cause of your inflammation is. So for something like HA, you know, where we have someone who is, you know, experiencing stress in some way, you know, a lot of the times it's coming from underfueling or overtraining um, or a combination of the two. And, you know, that can be a, for a lot of different reasons, which I explained a little bit in part one, but I think a lot of the time, some of the reason is like intentional underfueling. You know, there's a lot of information out there about um, like carbohydrates and like, let's not eat that much of them and they're bad. And, you know, do you feel like, someone who maybe is in that mindset already, you know, do you feel like adding something like a food sensitivity test to them could be even more damaging to their relationship with food? Oh yeah. Yeah. And I see this so often where, you know, when you're in some people, you know, they might be, they might not even intentionally be under fueling. It's just that, you know, they're so caught up in just 
you know, kind of that feeling of feeling light and, um, you know, that, that maybe fear of, you know, having a poor run if they eat too much or, you know, maybe it's, it's subtle and they don't even realize it so much, but, but absolutely these tests fuel the fire in terms of an unhealthy relationship with food and then also, um, you know, more disordered eating habits. So it's, it's more of a reason to restrict. And that is a problem in this case, especially because underfueling is typically the, the root cause and the stress on the body. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's really important, you know, that if we are trying like a strategic, you know, way to improve someone's diet to support gut healing, it's important to do it in a way that doesn't hinder their relationship with food, which I know is a very slippery slope sometimes. Um, And with my clients, like, and I know you have the same approach, Holly, is, you know, what can we add in? What can we add into the system to help repair it, help make it feel safe? Because as you mentioned, when the gut feels safe and when the tissue is healthy, then it's not going to react. Think of it, and I, I know I, these analogies are just, they keep coming, but think of it like a little kid who hasn't napped. For instance, like if you do anything to that kid, if you ask them to take the trash, even if you say like, I love you, they're just going to be irritable and cranky and they're going to react to anything that you say. Your gut is the same way. So if you're, if you're napped, if you're well-fed, if you're well-slept, you know, all of those things, your gut is not going to react to all of these foods. So there's, you know, there's an example for this too, is, um, you know, my athletes who are maybe like, you know, Olympic, Olympic training athletes are going into some pretty heavy, intense training cycles. And with that being said, that's just the nature of their profession. And oftentimes, you know, they can't rest, they have to push through it. And that's, that's what we, we work with. And I meet the clients where they are. And oftentimes we might do a low FODMAP diet temporarily why? Because FODMAPs are poorly digested if you have a stress gut. So we might treat a symptom in that case to help lower the inflammation in the gut and help them you know, get through their training cycle, feel really good, absorb the nutrients that they can absorb, maybe supplement with a multivitamin, really high quality multivitamin, maybe probiotic, get them through that with the intention of getting them out of that cycle, getting them rested and refueled and repairing the gut. So, you know, that's just an example of something that I'll do with clients that, you know, again, we might be treating a symptom, but the goal ultimately is, is rehealing and reintroducing those foods. I love that example too, because like you said, that's an extreme example, right? You're talking about an Olympic high level elite athlete who maybe has this as part of their career and livelihood. And like, you know, you're not going to change that situation. <laughs> you're not going to say, Hey, stop training for the Olympics. You know, if, if you can treat the symptom temporarily with the goal of it's a training cycle, eventually they'll come into an off season, you know, that's really important. And I think, you know, part of what we're talking about too, you know, if you're listening is it, it's, it's important to have off seasons. It's definitely important to give yourself that break to rest. Um, especially if we're not elite level athletes, because we do this for fun, <laughs> um, you know, and we should be paying attention to that. So I, I love, I love that you gave that example example there. And actually on that too, um, not to open, like we need to do another episode, but not to open an even bigger can of worms. You know, a lot of the times with HA, it can be related to the person's, um, you know, 
history and it can also be related to maybe their history with birth control um, and using hormonal birth control contraceptives like the pill or the IUD or the, the implant patch, you know, whatever your, your choice of method was. And I know that's a huge topic, but a lot of the times hormonal birth control can even deplete certain nutrients. So it's important to go through a period of replacing them, you know, if you're staying on the pill or if you're choosing to come off. Um, do you have like, and I know it's a huge topic, but do you have like anything to add in terms of if, you know, you're also on some sort of hormonal contraception, if you're throwing that into this mix as well? Yeah, I think it's important to look at the reason why we went on the contraceptive to begin with. Um, if it's for birth control, um, and your hormones were normal prior to going on it, that's, uh, you know, that's a situation where you might have had balanced hormones. Okay. That's great. Now, if you started taking the pill because you had an underlying hormonal imbalance, which isn't being addressed, I mean, the gut and hormones are directly connected. There's research that shows that estrogen is protective of our gut tissue. Um, so if you have low body fat and aren't getting en don't have enough estrogen in your body, um, it, there's so much there's so much that goes into that. But if I have a client who is on um, birth control, like you mentioned, because it depletes certain vitamins, we're going to be getting them on a, a nice high quality multivitamin. We're going to be assisting their gut as best as possible to manage any sort of dysbiosis because, um, you know, birth control can exacerbate leaky gut, which is what we've talked about prior in this episode about, you know, creating inflammation in the gut and then having an imbalance of that bacteria, especially if we're adding in these artificial hormones um, any sort of hormonal imbalance to begin with can, can lead to this dysbiosis, but we would support that as best as we can while the client is on birth control, um, you know, whether it be through probiotics or, um, you know, following a specific diet to eradicate the overgrowth of some bacteria um, and just really, really meeting the client where they are to figure out how we can best, um, you know, calm that gut and just make it so that it's absorbing and utilizing, um, right? Because, People often say you are what you eat, you are what you absorb, um, and you need to absorb all of the nutrients that are important for hormones and overall health and performance in order to actually, um, you know, perform optimally as a human being. So it's important to remember that, that your gut is where we're absorbing these nutrients that are required for optimal hormone balance, performance, health, everything. Yeah. And that's where too, sometimes, you know, I know you're very similar minded to me. Like we use that food forward approach. Like we want to inc incorporate what can we add to your diet, you know, to help your specific situation. But sometimes, you know, if there's like malabsorption happening, you know, it can be important to supplement, um, especially if you're already knowing that you're like depleted in a specific nutrient. Um, and that's where, again, you know, supplements, <laughs> there's a lot of them out there. So it's definitely important to work with someone so that you pick the right one. And so you pick the right one that has like a high quality um, supplement. So, you know, and I, I also wanted to mention too, you know, in terms of, you know, talking about birth control and, you know, your gut health and reasons that you may or may not be on it in the first part of um, the hypothalamic amenorrhea series, 
I touched on kind of how the pill works and that taking it is not just going to fix your problems if you have lost a period. Um, and it's, it's pretty similar to your gut health. Like if you have poor gut health because of hormonal imbalances or different stressors, going on the pill isn't going to fix your problems. You know, sometimes it can make them worse. <laughs> um, so it's important, you know, to be really open and communicate that with you know, your, your healthcare professionals and with your dietitian, if you're working with one, because they are all related, even though I think a lot of us don't think of them being related at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, another tie in here, because I know that, you know, for athletes, the worst thing is to be injured, right? Nobody wants to be injured. I can, I can count, you know, how many times I was just bawling my eyes out in college when running was taken away from me through injury and it was awful. You know, you, you are sidelined from the one thing that maybe is bringing you joy or the one thing that's your stress release. And, um, not that that's healthy either. That's obviously something that I had to address was finding other outlets for mental health, but you know, you love the sport. And so, uh, you know, injury should be a big motivation to take care of your gut and take care of your hormones, because if they are related, which they are, especially with HA, um, you know, if we're not absorbing those nutrients and then we're not absorbing calcium, we're not adequate vitamin D, we don't have enough calories to repair bone, we can't forget about that. We can't forget about the bone health side of things because it's not sexy now for people who are not, you know, osteoporosis prone, you know, which surprisingly a lot of females in their 20s can be and they don't even know it if they are, you know, having um, a missing period or just under fueling for prolonged periods of time, but it should be something to think about, especially from a standpoint of injury, because I see so often reoccurrent fractures as one of the main causes of under fueling and poor gut health, because we're not absorbing the nutrients. We're not fueling properly to repair the systems of the body, including the bones. And that's just going to cause you to be out of the sports that you love for longer. And so it's at that point where you say, at what cost, at what cost is it that I am, I'm under fueling? Is it, is it the way that I look? Is it fueled by, um, you know, stress or mental health condition? What is the fuel for why I'm making these decisions and why I'm allowing my body to, um, you know, be in this state where eventually it's going to, um, you know, not be life giving anymore, but it's going to be life taking. Yeah. And I think it's important because like you said, a lot of people will think, Oh, like bone health. I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not, I don't currently have a fracture, so I must be fine. And, you know, we're kind of like jumping up and down with our hands in the air, exclamation points everywhere, because it is important. And like, you have control over it now, you know, before you're, you're injured. Um, that's like where you can really turn it around quickly and avoid that big injury. And from my personal training perspective, you know, building your fitness as a runner, oftentimes, you know, all the stars need to align perfectly for your race day to go well, especially in something like a marathon, your training has to have gone well. So, you know, to really make that more consistent, we need to put blocks of, of training next to each other and build off of that training. And it's really hard to do that when you keep getting re-injured. <laughs> um, so, you know, prioritizing your nutrition, prioritizing your gut health and prioritizing like you said, why we're in this state of underfueling, if that's the case, is really important um, to prevent, you know, losing a sport that you love down the road. Because like you said, being injured is the worst. <laughs> and we're trying to help you prevent that. 
Yeah, and I want to also be very transparent here that I am speaking to you now as a dietitian who helps um, you know clients find optimal health, but I personally had lost my period for several years and was on birth control for for ten years, um, and you know I eventually got a DEXA scan and saw that my bone density was actually less than optimal and had taken a hit because of the um, you know the underfueling and the overtraining that I was doing. Um, and, and none of those things, you can't take birth control to protect your bones. It's research pr is proven. Birth control will not protect your bones. You cannot take calcium and vitamin D, you know, high levels of supplements to protect your bones, fuel your body and heal your gut that will protect your bones. And it, and as Holly said, this is the prime time to do it depending on how old you are. But when, as you get older, it becomes very difficult, if not impossible to, to build up that bone. So you really, really want to care about it now because down the road, you know, you're going to run into some serious issues. And like I said, I've been there, I've been there. And, you know, in my mindset, then you couldn't have pulled me out of it, but that DEXA scan, that's what woke me up and made me realize this is serious. And this is not just a body image under fueling issue. This is truly um, impacting my body on a deeper level than I could have ever imagined. Yeah. And it's such, such a young age too, right? Like when you're in college and me too. I mean, my, my experience is similar. I think that's why we're both so passionate about it. You know, I, I also ironically was going to school for dietetics and in my internship, I was learning about this. And that was when I lost my period because I was stressed out of my mind. I was commuting, like working 12 hours a day, you know, stress of school and everything. And on top of that, my only outlet for stress relief was running and I would get up at four in the morning and do my long runs. And then I would drive from Dover, New Hampshire to Concord, New Hampshire and work there for 10 hours and then drive home. I wasn't eating enough. And you know, that's when that kind of happened to me. And my wake up call was when my internship was over because it stopped and this only carried on for a few months. You know, I felt like I needed to sleep for like 14 hours a day. I couldn't like get off the couch. Like I, my period did come back eventually, but you know, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, had, had that gone on for more months or even years? And I, I also have a birth control story. I'd also been on it for, for about 10 years. You know, it's, it's a lot and it, it's really highly impactful. So we're just trying to bring awareness to yeah. do something about it now while, you know, while you're still on both feet and while you can, especially, you know, if you're in your 20s, 30s, you know, you're still very much, um, you know, in the knowledge is power and you can, you can almost reverse it. But once you are a little bit older, it becomes a lot harder or even impossible. We're like the moms that are like talking to the kids who want you to do differently than what we did um, because we've gone through it. So, you know, let us help us help you. And, you know, we just want you to perform your best. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I could talk to you about this topic forever, uh, which is why I brought you on the show, because I it's just such a big topic. And having your insight in terms of gut health was super helpful um, on, on another note, like one last question before we get to the fun, like end of the podcast question, you know, do you feel that, you know, like the individualized approach to helping someone with this to be helpful because of, you know, some, like, like you mentioned, individualized gut health things that can be happening. Like what I'm saying is, can someone just kind of research their symptoms on the internet and figure it out for themselves? Or do you find like that individualized approach more helpful? I am 
a firm believer that everybody should refer out and, and meet with an expert at least once. And I say this, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, that if I were experiencing some sort of health issue right now, I would refer out despite my master's degree in nutrition and my you know years of education and ability to research. It's just different when you have someone's outside perspective to be able to you know devise a plan and work with you and support you through the process. We're all human. So I would absolutely refer out to a dietitian, work with a professional and understand, even if you don't have HA, even if you're just an everyday runner or athlete and you've never met with a dietitian before, everybody can benefit from learning how to personalize their nutrition and do not wait until you are sick to seek help. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And you are an amazing resource. So, um, you know, Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just, it's just really important because like we were saying before, as the moms, you know, talking about don't do as we did, you know, it can help, you know, just add years onto your running career. It can help you prevent that, that really major injury that you're going to get in 10 years because of little things that you're doing now that are going to add up over time. Um, and it's helpful too, to seek out, like you were saying, a professional with credentials, with an education in this so that you don't learn misinformation. That's just not helpful and is going to dig you deeper into the hole. Um, so anything else you want to add before of the, the end of the podcast questions and we tell people where to find you? Yeah, I think it's also important to, to, to note that, you know, we talk about bone health and some of these more obvious symptoms, um, but, you know, down the road, things like autoimmune conditions and, you know, debilitating things that we don't necessarily have an explanation for, um, we do link them back to gut health. We do link them back to inflammation. So, you know, it's say like just really try to save yourself the the hassle of having to be diagnosed with one of those autoimmune conditions or unresolved you know symptom type things by by just taking um, you know control of your health advocating for it you know you might go to an endocrinologist and they might tell you it's fine that you don't have your period and they might tell you that you don't have to worry about it we'll just put you on the birth control pill but be your be your own advocate. Um, and, you know, reach out to either of us on Instagram, through email, whatever, like if you just, you know, want some support or whatever, because it's, it's really something that we're passionate about and um, an important topic. So don't underestimate the power of your gut health. Yeah, I love that. And, and same thing too, like, you know, if you're feeling that not to make it punny, but like a gut feeling, you know, yeah. if you're sitting in a doctor's office that this really, this information I don't think is going to serve me it's not going to hurt you to get a second opinion, third opinion, you know, even if it confirms what the first opinion said, you know, it's really important to advocate for yourself. And we're always happy to help you do that because it's a little bit of a tricky world out there um, for sure when it comes to advocating for yourself in healthcare. Yeah. And, and one last thing is, you know, we don't just address nutrition, you know, supporting the mental health side of it too. And um, understanding that a lot of times these habits are fueled uh, based on, you know, poor body image or an unhealthy relationship with food or things like that. And that is, that's the key to the long-term success because you can fix symptoms, you can get your period back, but the mental health side of things is, is going to be the real, real hard work, honestly, um, which I can definitely speak to. And I'm sure you can too. Um, it's an ongoing process and it's definitely something that's, it's well worth it. It is well worth it, but it is hard work. Yeah. And like years and years consistency, it's a practice. It's not just something you achieve one day. Just like I love a muscle, that. right? 
Just like a muscle. Absolutely. Well, let's ask this fun end of the podcast question that I ask everybody. And now that you've had, you know, this positive relationship with running, so you're about to cross the finish line of your goal race. Like you're just having a great run. It's a great day. Like what song is playing to embody how you feel at that moment? So this is funny because my mom and I were sitting um, in the living room last night, just getting some work done. And I started playing this, this song on YouTube and she's like, what are you playing right now? And I was like, this is the song that I would be, be listening to if I were to cross the finish line. And she's like, what are you talking about? Um, but obviously it was prepping because I knew you were going to ask this question. Um, but the song is called glowing by Nikki Williams. And you'll have to listen to it when we get off because it has nothing to do with the lyrics, really. I mean, when I am running and I hear the song, this has always happened to me. I just get so pumped up and this feeling like floods over my body of happiness where I'm either dancing or I'm singing the lyrics. And even now, just like talking about it, I'm smiling because I'm thinking about that, that feeling that it elicits inside of me. And I, again, I'm pretty sure it's about like a love song or something like that, but the beat and the, just the tone and, oh, you got to listen to it. But that would be the song to embody the feelings that I feel crossing the finish line. Well, that's amazing. I haven't heard of that one before. And that like makes me excited because I, I've been adding these songs from my podcast guests slowly to a playlist. And it's just like the best because whenever the song comes on, I think of the person so I can't wait to listen to this. Yay. I'm excited to listen to it too. And I also would love to be added to that playlist. I'd be so curious to check it out. I bet it's a lot of good songs. Oh, a thousand percent. I'm, I'm planning to release like the list of songs like at the end of each year so that we can all add more fun to our running pump up playlist. Um, and it's fun because I get to think of the person who said the song name. And it just, it, it makes me feel like you're there pushing me through that workout, which is helpful <laughs> for my own selfish games. But all right. So Aaron, that was amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, you are a wealth of knowledge and I'm so grateful to have you as a fellow dietitian to collaborate with and talk about these super dense topics that I know we both, um, you know, help clients with each day, but where can our listeners find you and the services that you provide? Yeah. And likewise, Holly, it's always a pleasure talking with you. You are a wealth of knowledge and just an incredible resource for all of your clients. And I don't say that lightly, really. Um, so people can find me nutritionrewired.com. Um, that's mainly where you can sign up for a discovery call. And then um, as far as just you want free content, you want to learn more about gut health, um, my Instagram nutrition rewired. And, um, again, back to the website though, you'll, you'll find a newsletter, the podcast, everything, all the resources for free, um, a gut healing guide that if you're interested in learning more about leaky gut that I talked a little bit about in this episode. Um, but everything's pretty much in that one place. And, um, if you have any questions, like I said, feel free to DM me on Instagram or shoot me an email. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and I hope you have a good rest of your day and we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, Holly.
Erin, thank you so much for coming on the show and helping me dive a little bit deeper into this topic that I know affects so many female athletes that I have or have not yet gotten the pleasure to meet. I hope if you listened, you got a lot of great content out of this episode and out of part one as well, so that you feel like you have a good place to start when it comes to tackling your hormone health reducing injury, and improving your longevity in the sport of running. If you want a more individualized approach to your health and nutrition and exercise training, I would encourage you to head over to fitcookienutrition.com where you can set up a free discovery call to chat more with me about one-on-one nutrition coaching. I also currently have a course available called the Foundations Course that helps dive into this topic as well. Enrollment closes November 1st for 2020, so make sure you jump on that if that's something that interests you. I really hope you guys are enjoying the podcast. If you love it so far, I'd really appreciate a five-star rating and review. Any feedback as well is always welcome as it helps more people find this podcast and benefit from the content. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Happy running.